the Lord's house. Amen? Amen. And then after that, you can be seated. Uh, we're going to get you guys some light over there so that you can see. It's just going to take a few seconds for those lights to come on. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to continue in our study. We're going to finish up our, our, uh, our series on the dynamic family today. We're going to talk about parent and child relationships. Come on, somebody. Or we can just go home. Y'all already gay. I mean, you got to give on the way out. So, I mean, you know, we can, whatever. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, parent-child relationships. Let me go ahead and read our primary text that we've been using for this, uh, for this series. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us to be shaped and molded by it. Lord, all the preconceived ideas, all the social, all the social norms that have been formed that are outside of who you are, I pray that you allow us to get past those. You allow us to embrace you fully. Lord, have your way in this place. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, children and parent relationships, that, that's a tough one, amen? Because how many of you that, that have more than one kid, you have kids that are completely different than each other? I mean, my, my girls are just like polar opposites. They're, they're, they're night and day. They're... they're, they're um, one is very regimented, very, very in order. The other one is very creative. Come on, somebody. And, and, and as a result, you know, I always thought that you just got this plan and that it just worked. Amen. You just say, hey, do that. I'm going to whip you if you don't. Come on, somebody. And, but, but that's not the way parenting works. Also, how parenting doesn't work is you just kind of um, turn your kids loose and pray that they live to adulthood. I see more of that model of parenting, amen, that, that you just kind of turn the TV on, uh, send them to school. Now listen, I'm going to, you know guys, I'm transparent. I'm sure we just send them to school and they're supposed to teach them the information. We're just going to send them to church and they teach them God and then I'm just going to provide a meal or two a day and keep them alive. And, and that's, that's my job as a parent. But that's not parenting, Amen. There is some actual activity to parenting. There is some, some hands-on lab practicum work that has to be done. And with the first one, uh, you know, you are kind of feeling things out. With Madison, the way I realized and the way I actually believed that she had reached that developmental point where she could roll over was I was watching a football game and she was laying on the couch and she rolled off the couch onto the floor. Thump. I picked her up and I put her back on the couch. Angie came in. She said, what's wrong? I said, she fell off the couch. She said, were you watching her? And I said, yes, of course. She can't even roll over yet. How is she going to get off the couch? So a few seconds later, thump a second time. Come on, somebody. So me being the, the, the scientist that I am, I'm proving this, this thought process that she can't roll over, right? So I put her back on the couch again. And a third time, she rolled over onto the floor. And I called Angie. I said, guess what? She can roll over. Come on, somebody. 
I was learning on the fly. I was trying. I know Jacob's looking at me like, you almost killed the, the kid. They're very resilient, by the way. They can make it through so much stuff that you don't think they're going to be able to make it through. But listen, parenting, I know that, that not everybody has all the answers in the beginning. But, um, you know, James um, says, anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He'll give to all liberally who ask. Um, that is a, that's an important passage of Scripture in every area of life, but especially parenting. But what I want to talk is some of the practicality and some of the practicality that comes along that actually brings something that's very spiritual and very supernatural, probably something um, that you've been praying for. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, um, this is one that, that most parents, most spiritual parents know. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, because you use this a lot. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, is the way one uh, translation says it, that you would live long and have a prosperous life. So there is a, there is a connection to longevity and obedience. And young people, I know you don't want to hear that, but it is. But let me let me take a, a little bit closer look because, you know, we use the word obey sometimes, but we also use the word honor sometimes. But that word in the original language actually means glory. It says bring glory to your mother and father. In other words, when people look at you, make them so wowed at who you are that they say, my goodness, your parents must be proud. Come on, somebody. You know, one of the greatest things a parent can hear is when somebody looks at you and say, listen, your kid is so sweet. Your kid is so well-behaved. Your kid is so... And, and, listen, it just, and it makes you feel like you've done your job as a parent, but you've got to do your job as a parent for your child to do their job as a child. A lot of times we want the honor and obey without having the actual... Um, the hands-on parenting that it requires to get them to honor and obey. And it's not just as simply as having the hard hand of discipline. As a matter of fact, discipline is probably the smallest part of parenting that there is. If we truly want to modify behavior, it's much easier to modify behavior at the heart level than it is at the behavior level. Come on, somebody. That if we teach the principles we want and we model the principles we want, then we don't have to correct behavior through discipline many times because they already know what is expected. And truly, people most of the time want to live up to the level and the expectation that you place on them. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, when I look at you guys, I, I, I just expect you guys to do everything Scripture asks you to do. I expect you to be who God called you to be, to do what God called you to do. That's my expectation, and I am just absolutely overwhelmed at how many people stand up and rise to that level of expectation. And your children will rise to that level of expectation if you clearly define expectations. Come on, somebody. Let me, uh, let, let me show you what I mean. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, this is, now let me ask you if you've ever heard this scripture um, read or preached or quoted this way. Train up a child in the ways of the Lord, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Raise, raise your hand if you've ever heard it said that way. 
But that's not what this passage of Scripture says. As a matter of fact, this is a very practical passage of Scripture and really is not even um, largely pointed towards spiritual development. It's pointed towards simple development. Raise a child up. Now, does it include that? Yes. You know, John Hagee used to talk talked about the fact that his whole life growing up, he had a drug problem, right? He said, I had a terrible drug problem when I was a kid uh, and growing up. He said, every Sunday, my parents drug me to church. Every Sunday night, they drug me back to church. Then they drug me to prayer meeting on Monday. They drug me to group on Tuesday. Then they drug me back to, I had a drug problem. And, and we, we have to understand that that, that, that part is part of it, that making sure they are in church, that making sure they are sitting under teaching, but also modeling that behavior at home. Listen, I'm convinced that, that, that Lexi prays not because she heard it in church, but because we model that. Amen? When I hear some of the words she prays, I think those are the same things I pray. When she prays, she's always, this is a phrase that's always included in her prayer. Make us the leaders of tens of thousands of men, women, boys, and girls. It's just something that I pray and I believe. That we live our lives in that direction. And it's that modeled behavior that our children take upon themselves. And here it says, train your child up in the way they should go. And when they grow old, they'll not depart from it. Literally, it means discover the slant and move them towards it. In other words, where are your children good? What are they gifted in? What, what do they have some, some talent in? And when they show an interest in that, help develop them in that specific area. Amen? Instead of just sitting back and allowing them to figure out who they are, help them become who they are, parents. And if we get on board and actually help them become and resource them to become who they are, they will bring glory to their parents. They will honor. They will bring that glory that the Bible talks about. When, when, when your kid shows... I'm just going to make stuff up. When your kid shows interest about dinosaurs, buy them a book about dinosaurs. Now read it first. Listen, my, 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 both of them, but my oldest daughter especially, she, she really liked that, um, that show, um, I don't know, the one about, the, about uh, Littlefoot. Do you know which one I'm talking about? And Petrie and all the dinosaurs. Lying before time, that's it, thank y'all. Spencer still watches it, that's why he knew. Um, and, and every time it would come on, it would say, millions of years ago. And I would go, ugh. Because that was the evolutionary part of it, right? I, oh. So it would come on, and Madison thought that's what you were supposed to do during that part of the show. So she would watch it. It would come on and say, Bill Jr. goes, Madison would go, oh. But resource them. Get good resources and put it in their hands so that you can find out the passions and the desires that are on the inside of your children. And once you find those passions and desires, make sure that you are helping to form those passions and those desires. If they show interest in music, come on somebody, buy, buy, buy instruments until they find the one that they like and then help equip them to become musicians. If they have a natural proclivity, if they want to, if your child, every time you buy them a toy, they start taking it apart. Come on, somebody. 
buy them toys that are designed to be taken apart and put together so that they can work with their hands and develop that creativity and that ingenuity, continue to fuel that curiosity so that they can become everything that they want to be. If your child shows interest in a sport... Listen, I know it's hard, but find a way to get them to the ball field. Find a way to do those things so they can find out if they like it and if they're any good at it. And let them make it through the season. And if you see they're not any good, steer them away from it before next season. Amen? Say, listen, how about this? Um... Madison was, she was a pretty good athlete, but I knew after the first soccer game, come on somebody, that it wasn't for her because all she wanted to do, if she had to play any position besides goalie, it was over. She watched soccer just like I did, amen? And she would always say, too much running. Too much running. So we worked and we worked and we worked until we found golf. And then we resourced. And then we pushed and we set expectations. Guys, do some work. And also as grandparents, look at me, every grandparent. Instead of just randomly throwing things at your grandkids, find out what the parents have discovered about the children and help resource them and move them in the same direction as a family unit so that there is a unified effort to help build those passions and desires and skills so that everybody is on board and you're moving as a cohesive unit because grandparents, you may have some resources that the parents don't have to help develop that child in the things and in the way that they should go. Come on, somebody. What a revolutionary thought that we get together as families and talk and have discussions. If your children are older, just sit down at the dinner table and say, hey, what are you interested in? Just That's a novel approach. Just ask. Do you know so many times we miss great spiritual opportunities because we don't do the practical things? You know, never do I expect Pastor Clay to pray all night long for six nights to come up with the songs that he should sing on Sunday when he wants them to reinforce what I'm going to be preaching. What I expect him to do is ask me on Monday what I'm going to be preaching. Amen? It's a much easier process to sit down and have those conversations. And you may think that what your children are saying, it's absolute nonsense. But I want to encourage you that once you have those discussions, once you have those those times and you ask them what they're doing and you ask them what they're into, do some research and find out if it's actually really a valid thing now because some things that weren't valid when we were growing up, come on now, are very good avenues of development and resource and skill and opportunity. There are so many more things at our kids' disposal now than when we were growing up that we need to take every opportunity to develop them and help them become who God is calling them to be because the most important thing we can do is help them discover their destiny. A life not lived with purpose is a life not lived. It's a life survived.
but someone who can discover purpose will illuminate the world around them and engage people at the levels that they need to be engaged and will, and will, and will bring that, that crowd around them that have the same vision and the same direction and be able to create a movement that will change the world and architect the future. We're not just simply talking about making sure that they get to school on time, but creating them to be the world changers that God is calling them to be and architect a better future. Because what we see right now and what we can... can, Listen, you don't have to be a prophet to look into the future and have discussions with young people, even conservative Christian young people. Come on, somebody. And tell that the thoughts and the processes that are shaping their mind are from classrooms and from liberal teachers and professors that are teaching theory rather than practicality. And if we as families don't raise up and do the job as parents, then we're going to be living in a world and our kids and grandkids will be living in a world that has simply been shaped by theory rather than reality with no spiritual guidance and no spiritual development. And it's up to you to stop that trend because you are parenting the next generation of pastors, missionaries, doctors, lawyers, even maybe the president of the United States. And it's up to you to shape and to mold those minds and help them become Become everything that God wants them to become, not something that a teacher in a classroom wants them to become. It's an indictment. I don't, I don't want, I didn't want to say this, but I'm going to. I wrote in my notes that I didn't put it in here. I'm going to say it anyway. It's an indictment against you as a parent if your children's teachers know them better than you do. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, let me just, let me call time out here. I want to ask another question by a show of hands. And right there online, just give me a heart or a thumbs up or something um, if, you, if, you've, if you're praying this prayer, if you've ever prayed this prayer. Lord, send revival. Let me have you pray in that prayer. You've ever prayed that prayer. Lord, send revival, send revival, send revival. Uh, okay, now I'm going I'm to show you something here, okay? We're, 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 I'm going to show you some practicality. Because I think that we're asking God to do something that we haven't met the prerequisites for. Let me, let me say that again. I want somebody to say it out loud. Not like a quick amen. I want you to say amen. Well, listen, listen to the difference. Amen. That's a question, right? Amen is a statement. I, I want you to get on the statement train, okay? Uh, <clears throat> We haven't met the, the, the prerequisites for revival, I don't think, here in America. Malachi chapter 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now here we've read this passage of scripture and what we've always heard and what we've always thought was God is going to send some miracle worker in the likeness of Elijah to the earth and suddenly he's going to do something magical. He's going to do something and he's going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children and there's going to be some kind of family awakening. But that's not what this passage of Scripture says. Listen to how it starts. 
It says, remember the law of Moses, my servant. He's not telling Elijah, the coming Elijah, to remember the law. He will already know the law. Come on, somebody. He's not talking about that. He's talking about, he's talking to you. He's saying, you know the law. You understand the law of Moses. What is the law of Moses? Exodus chapter 12. Honor your father and mother. Raise your children. Prepare them to bring glory to you. He said, listen, you get about the law. You get about the precepts. You understand, especially this. And then when Elijah comes and there is a, an outpouring of the Spirit, which Jesus fulfills this, he says, then the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers and the fathers to the children. Why? Because we understand that it's our responsibility to parent and build a relationship with our children to be there for them, to be the spiritual impetus in their, in their life, to bring spiritual vitality to our homes, to make sure that they understand who he is so that they can be everything that he wants them to be. And when we do that and we turn our hearts back to our children and we reassert ourselves, as parents, then we are meeting the prerequisite for revival because revival can't happen in a unit that's disjointed because anything disjointed can't stand. So he's saying, here's the thing. Let's have a parenting revival. And when we have a parenting revival, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. But until we get back in the habit of being those focused, attached parents, the Lord is desiring to move, but he can't move because you can't have something you don't know about. We're expecting sons and daughters to prophesy, and they don't know what prophecy is. Let me say that again. That felt good. I mean, it felt bad, but it felt good at the same time. We we keep waiting for sons and daughters to prophesy, and they they don't know what prophecy is. We keep waiting for the Lord to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. But we have a generation that doesn't know what that is. they, 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 They don't understand what... What putting new wine in old wines, they don't understand those principles, those precepts. They don't know what it means to come. And, and Now listen, I'm, I know this is going to sound old-timey and let it. It's okay. I've always said we are a very traditional church wrapped in some shiny paper. Come on, somebody. They don't know what it is to come to the altar and pray through. They don't know what it is to pray until the foundation of the house shakes like we read about in Acts. Like Wesley wrote about at the birth of the, of the Methodist church. Not where he said that I felt myself strangely warm, but the account he had where they began to pray and then suddenly eight hours had passed and we realized we had not noticed a moment. And those things don't happen because the church does them. 
Those things happen because we lead our children into those moments and we bring our children and we bring them to the altar and we pray with our children until they have that experience. Come on, somebody. I don't know how many times that I have had, especially teenagers when I was a youth pastor, that their parents would come upstairs into the gym to get their kids because their kid was praying and they would come down, listen, and not get on their knees beside their child and pray, but get, come down and get their children by the arm and pick them up out of the altar and say, we've got to go. That's not an indictment on the youth pastor. I don't, I, listen, I didn't come to shear y'all today, but sometimes the sheep just have to be sheared. Amen? If not, y'all get fuzzy. And, uh, that's not an indictment. Listen, you have a one-hour church service, and everybody's like, oh, no, we've programmed to one hour, one hour, one hour. But when we open the altars, I don't care if you stay all day. There has to be an impetus from the home, from the family. Have supernatural experiences with your children at the dinner table. Have supernatural encounters in, in prayer time before bed. Invite the Holy Spirit into your home. Chase out darkness and illuminate it with the light of Jesus Christ. And then we've met the prerequisite for global revival. But until we prepare the next generation that will not just carry it, but perpetuate it. Then God will send revival when we have the carriers of revival ready to receive it and live it out. Because here's the reality, church. I want everybody to look at me. Here's the reality. If Jesus tarries, if Jesus doesn't come back, this generation, my generation and your generation, our generation will not be the generation to win the entire world. We're already too late. But if we prepare the next generation, if we, were, if we prepare warriors, champions of God, to carry the gospel to places that the gospel's never been preached, that it's not a strange thing to want to go to an unreached people group, that it's not a strange thing to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover, that it's not a strange thing to have revival break out in school, that it's not a strange thing for you to, to talk to your friends about Jesus, that it's not a strange... Come on, somebody. That those are not strange things and prepare them to be carriers of revival, to be the contagion that brings the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, then he will reach out and we may see the beginning of that revival. I still hold on to a promise that God gave me many, many years ago at a church just right here on the other side of this town. God spoke to me. I had just preached my very first sermon. To, uh, to teenagers. God spoke to me in the car on the way home, and this is what he said. He said, There is coming revival among the American teenager, the likes of which the world has never seen. Prepare yourself. Well, I thought that meant next week. Come on, somebody. So I got my best revival sermon, and man, I preached, and the kids looked at me like, I don't know, we don't even know what you're talking about. 
I was talking about mass, mass salvations at school, baptizing people in the water fountain. I mean, you know, I was, I, at one point I even said, use toilet water if you need to. And I, I keep preaching, kept preaching, kept preaching, kept preaching. You know what? That word still burns as strong in me as it did that day because I haven't seen it happen yet and it still will come to pass because it's undeniable that that was the voice of the Lord speaking to me. And if it didn't happen then and it hasn't happened yet, it must be next week. Next week must be when it's going to happen because it hadn't happened yet, but that won't happen until we are raising children ready for revival. So let's do this. Let's, let's turn the television off occasionally and let's talk about the Lord. Let's go to the grocery store with our children. And let's find somebody to bless until the point where every time you get in line, they look at you and say, can we buy their groceries? I can't carry Lexi to the grocery store anymore because she wants to get in line behind the person with the fullest cart. Amen. And then say, hey, can we buy their groceries? And I say, no. Not theirs. Let's go, let's go to the express lane. Come on. I'm going to close by, by bragging on my kid one more time. Because here, here's what I know about myself. At home, this is what I know about myself. Is that I'm an average communicator. Or, according to Barry, maybe a little below average. <laughs> um, probably, probably below, and, and listen, I, I'm, operate, I'm just giving you transparency here. Probably below average pastor. I mean, I... Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not looking for that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm not fishing for compliments here. I'm telling you, based on the other people that I know, y'all might think I'm good because y'all had some pa- pastors worse than me in the past. So keep, keep comparing me to them. Come on now. Uh, you know what? I, 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 I'm an okay husband. But I'm a, I, I am an elite daddy. I mean, when it, come, when, it, when it comes to being a daddy, I believe that I am an all-star daddy. It just seems to be something that, that the Lord grabbed my heart with early and blessed me to do. And there are moments where my kids amaze me. There are moments where they do something and I think, wow, you know what? Everything that we've done that moment made everything worthwhile. And uh, several weeks ago, we were at the grocery store, and just like she always does, she said, Daddy, can we buy her groceries? And I said, no, baby. Not today. She looked at me, she said, can I buy her groceries? And I said, what do you mean? She said, I've got money. I won't buy her groceries. Now, Lexi, I don't even know, I don't even think she realized what was transpiring in front of us, okay? It was just because the lady in front of us, she had her, um, her, her EBT card. 
her food stamps card, and she was trying to do the addition in her head as she was going through the line because it was going to be close whether she had enough money or not. And, uh, and they started ringing it up, and she started... She began to see the total. Now, Lexi's begging me to pay for the groceries, right? So she's, and, and she starts saying, okay, well, you know, my grandbaby wanted these cupcakes, but we can't, I can't get those, so let's put those back. And she said, and, you know, and, and, you know, I think, I think that the milk's not fresh, but I think we have another, another thing. She said, so we'll put that back. And she's trying to get down to that level where she can swipe her car. Come on, somebody. You know, I think that sometimes we have a, uh, that we have a poor understanding um, of people that are actually down and out. And people go through things like that in front of us, and it is actually an inconvenience to us when it's people just trying to make ends meet. So, uh, Lexi... Just taps the, did you tap her or did you, yeah, you tapped her. You tapped her on the arm and you said, uh, I, I want to buy your groceries. And she said, no, 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 that's okay. And Lexi said, no, 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 no. And then she fans out her money, you know, like a gangster, you know. It's like, <laughs> she said, oh, no, I've got money. I want to buy your groceries. And the lady starts just, I mean, tears running down her face. She said, I really, here's the thing, I really think Jesus wants me to buy your groceries. And now the lady is causing a scene. She's like, oh my gosh. I never had this happen before. Nobody's ever bought my groceries. And she's that loud. So everybody is like looking at what's happening. People in the other lines are thinking, I should have gotten that line. I knew I should have gotten in that line, right? always me I'm always in the wrong place and people are looking so so we buy the groceries and this is what she says she says I'm gonna be able to get my baby her cupcakes I believe that Lexi bought those groceries so that the baby could have cupcakes because I'm going to tell you what transpires in just a second so she goes through the line, and then the lady at the counter says, what church do y'all go to? So I told her, as far as I know, she hasn't, she hasn't visited yet. She hasn't been here yet. But listen, there was a seed about the size of Georgia planted in this lady's heart. She said, because I, listen, if Miss Lexi does that, I want to know what happens at your church because we need more kids doing things like that. Amen? So we pay for, I pay for our groceries. Lexi got the easy deal. I pay for our groceries and we walk outside and the lady's getting in the car. And she's handing the little girl in the back seat the cupcakes. And she says, I didn't have enough money, but a little girl in the grocery store paid for these cupcakes because Jesus told her to. We can hear the conversation. And the little girl goes, and she just can't believe that somebody helped her because Jesus told them to. 
What if we had every one of our children performing random acts of kindness so full of love and maybe a lack of understanding of money? I don't know. But ready to do things in the name of Jesus. What would it do to our community? How would it impact our world if we weren't preparing our kids just to go to softball, but to go to softball and demand that we pray before the first pitch? Or to go to the grocery store to target someone to talk to about Jesus? Or to go to school and beg to get there early so that they can invite their friends to come to a classroom and have a prayer meeting before school starts? And it's your responsibility as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles to facilitate that and make that happen. Everybody stand with me all over the room.